On Friday, Mary of Magdala helped place Jesus in a grave. She left that grave hopeless. The one that she thought to be the king of Israel was dead. Three days later on Sunday morning, what we call Easter, she returned to finish caring for the body of Jesus so that he could be laid to rest properly. It was only when she heard her name, Mary, spoken by the risen Savior that hope burst into her life gloriously. And so if you came today hopeless, that may be good. Because only when you are hopeless are you ready to hear the message of hope. And so I pray today as we look at the passage in Revelation chapter 1, 4, excuse me, that you'll find hope in the King of glory sitting on the throne forever and ever. Wow. Every song... You know, I wish you knew what I was going to say before I said it, because as I know what I'm going to say and I listen to the songs, I'm saying, oh, that fits, that fits, that fits. And everything that Rodney was saying was like, that fits, that fits, that fits. And everything William said, that fits. So let's be dismissed. (laughs) Oh, I'm telling you, wow. And, And I realized... I, I'm, I try, I'm going to be trying very hard to stay within a 30-minute time slot. And so I'm not sure how we're going to do this. This is really great. In our last lesson, as Rodney was sharing with us, there, I introduced two realities as we come into, the, into this door opened up in heaven. And I trying, was trying to show the two realities of our current lives where we live today, our current culture, and going into this new reality, this real reality, it's not a new reality, it's the real reality that's going on, the true truth of the spiritual reality that exists in our lives right now, even though we don't see it, as we saw in Second Kings, uh, Kings chapter 6. So I died? I'm sorry. Am I up? I'm okay now? All right, all right, got a thumb up, all right. (laughs) So, I'm going to try to bring some further clarity into last week's thoughts. I'm I'm sorry, am I speaking in here or am I speaking in here? I, I, I have that one. All right, all right, I'm taking this off then. Sorry. Technical difficulties, there we go. All right, let me know if I need to pull this up or anything. Thank you for your patience. So, as I approached this lesson last week, you may have been aware of the, um, of the lessons I did in 2018 on chapters 1 through 3 of Re- Revelation where we saw the seven churches of Asia. And so as I, w- as I began studying chapter 4, I said... These people were living in a real, in their real lives, their real context. The churches in Ephesus and Pergamum and Smyrna and so on. Seven churches. 
And each of these churches had different mindsets. Each of these churches had different struggles. Each of these churches had different joys. And each of these churches had different persecutions. And so if you were just to put it on a scale of 0 to 10 for persecution, 0 meaning no persecution and 10 meaning martyrdom or death, each of these churches was in a different place. Uh, in Smyrna, they were being thrown into jail. I don't know where you would put that on a scale of 0 to 10, but they were being thrown into jail. The church in Laodicea, in, uh, in Fire Tower, they were, you're not going to get a job unless you do this. So there's a little less persecution, but there's still persecution there. The church in Pergamum, one of the members there had uh, suffered martyrdom. So that would be all the way on the 10 scale. And the people all the way in the east in Laodicea, they thought everything was fine. They thought they were in zero persecution. They didn't realize the reality they were in. And so in this congregation, each of you are in different areas of persecution individually. You're experiencing different things that might be at school that you're, you're, you're being excluded from clubs or not invited to certain uh, events because you're a Christian. Uh, you may be making decisions on your jobs that you have to do something or not do something. And so you're feeling this pressure and this persecution and what I was trying to say is I believe us as a society and really as the world, but in our culture, I think we're moving more toward the end of that scale, more toward 9, 10, 8, 9, and 10 than where we are today. And so I said I think maybe in between 25 and 40 years we're going to be at the 8, 9, and 10 area of persecution. And I also said, and I hope I'm wrong, I hope I'm wrong. One brother said he thought, he disagreed with me and said, I think it's going to be less than 10. I said, I hope you're wrong. <laughs> I hope you're wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But in studying the book of Revelation from 6 on to 22, one of the things that this book is trying to show us is that every world power stands in opposition to God. And when I first read this, uh, studied this, I, I resisted this concept. But Satan operates within the realm of every societal structure. So there are good people in government, there are Christians in government, but Satan works within governments to achieve his purposes. And what's his purpose? To kill, steal, and destroy. That's his purpose. So he uses governments, every government to go that direction. Satan uses every economic system. That's a world power. Uh, we have, there's good and bad in every economic system, but Satan is within these powers to achieve his purpose. Every cultural and even every religious power, he uses those in order to achieve his purpose. And just, just there, if you read the, the rest of this book, there's a lamb there that has a horn, and he looks like a lamb, but he's really not a lamb. That's a religious power. But we're, we're not going to have time to, to go over through the whole book of Revelation. Every educational power, every business power, every government power, every cultural trend, every economic power, every 
the media, throughout the spectrum of left, right, liberal, conservative, it doesn't matter where you are on that, Satan works within these powers to achieve his purposes. And in every one of those, we need Christians. We need salt in those places. We need salt in the education system. We need salt in the finance world. We need salt in the government. So we're not saying you can't be there. In fact, you, you ha you're in the world. You have to be there. But this is, this is my point. Our focus and our hope is not in any of those world powers. Our focus and our hope is only in the one who is reigning on the throne of the universe. I thought I heard an amen. <laughs> our only hope is in the one who sits on the throne. Thank you. And our lives are in places, our lives are in places, but we are not of them. I preached a few sermons on 1 John and a few on the Gospel of John. And that's a joke for the ones, inside joke for the ones here. It wasn't a few. And in those, we saw that we are in the world, but we are not of the world. We physically live in our culture, but we actually live in the heavenly realms. That's in the book of Ephesians. In 1 John chapter 2, uh, verse 15, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so he's saying, yes, you live in the world and you influence the world and you work there, but those are the powers in which Satan works. And I wish we could get into this too. We kind of will. But the only place on this earth that Satan does not work in, you know, there's one place where Satan does not work within. He can only attack that place from without. And that is God's true church, the New Jerusalem, the New Jerusalem coming down from heaven with the walls around it symbolized in, in here. And who is in that new church? God knows. It's not you place membership here and you're in the church, in the, the church, I hope you are, and you, and I would guess that you are, but only God knows where his true church is, and God cannot work within you if you are part of his true church. You know why? Because the spirit is in you, and if the spirit is in you, Satan cannot be within you. All right, I heard another amen quietly. All right, and this is the wonderful thing is that we are protected from Satan. And even though our, our, our focus and our, our, uh, our alignment must be in Christ, and if it's in anything, if it's in any, in any government, any education, any job, anything like that, we will be focused on the wrong thing. And, and uh, Rodney brought this out. There should be no fear in persecution. There should be no fear in persecution. You don't have to like it. You don't have to enjoy it. And you don't have to bring it on. If you did, your focus would be on persecution. You see, I, I worked with a church once who focused so much on persecution. They were like, we're, we, wouldn't, we want to show that we're Christians by being persecuted. And so they did things in order to be persecuted. And their focus was on persecution and not on the Lord. Isn't it funny how things happen like that? Our focus 
must be on the Lord. And if it brings us persecution, see, I got an amen there. If, our pre, if it brings on, on, on us, then that's okay. But our focus should be on the king of glory. So the question is, is where are your eyes? Are they on Jesus? Or are they on persecution? Are they on Jesus? Or are they on anything of this world? And so don't be afraid of persecution. All right, let me look. I have in my notes 1 Peter chapter 4. And I absolutely do not have time for this. But I want to just point out, if you will take your time, if you're afraid of persecution, and my Bible is falling apart, let me see if I can find it. There it is. 1 Peter chapter 4. If you'll just read that chapter, if you're afraid of persecution. And he says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in this body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who suffered in the body is done with sin. And that's how he begins it. He, he spends, uh, look, verse 7, he says, The end is near. The end is near. And then he tells you what to do. And he says, do some good stuff. All right? And I'm not going to read that. But go ahead and read the things that he tells you to, to do. And then in verse 12, he says, dear friends. And that word is beloved ones. And I think loved of God. Don't be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering. As so though something strange were happening to you. This is your attitude. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. And so he tells us this is your attitude, not fear, but rejoice in the persecution of Christ. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer, thief, or any type of criminal. If you suffer because you're breaking the law, it's your fault. Or even as a meddler, even as someone who's putting your nose in other people's business. Don't suffer because of that. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. And he goes, goes on. So then, verse, the last verse, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful Christian and continue to do good. That word commit yourself means sit beside. <laughs> Just put yourself beside. So those of you who suffer should just, just be beside God. Keep your focus on God and do good. And do good. Let's enter the throne room of God and gaze at the faithful creator and let our troubles fade in the overwhelming glory of the light of God. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I, first, I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here. And I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven, seven lamps were blazing, and these were the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. 
A quick way how I'm going to approach this. Number one, the key to me to, Rome, to Ephesians. Oh, what, what, what book am I just reading? <laughs> Revelation. <clears throat> Excuse me. The key. I'm trying to talk too fast. I'm sorry. The key is to listen for echoes. And what I mean by that is the previous 65 books in the Bible, we need to know that before we understand Revelation. There's keys. All the, You hear echoes. You hear things, and you'll be reading and go, oh, I, I read that somewhere else before, and you'll go back, and you'll see the, the echoes. And so the first thing I do <clears throat> is, I, is I'm listening to the echoes. And the second thing I'm going to do, I'm not going to give you 12 different uh, interpretations of this. I could. I have the books. You know, I could go through and say, this person said that, this person said that, this person said that. I'm not going to do that because that would be confusing. What I'm going to do is say what I believe the echoes are. And my goal is to say, and these echoes must be consistent with the rest of the scripture and not go into, off into some fantastic type of interpretation of this. But to say, look at these and say, what are the echoes that I hear as we go in these verses here? And what I see right now, as I shared last week, the door is open into heaven, into this new reality. And it's open right now. It's still open. And we can see the world as it really is. We operate in a world of chaos here, but we need to realize God's in control. God is not confused. God is not concerned. God is not trying to figure it out. We are concerned. We're, uh, we're trying to figure it out, but God has it figured out. And so as we walk into the throne room of God, our hope and glory is in the one who already has it figured out. We don't have to figure it out. And so we want to ask the question, who is this God on the throne? And what is happening here, we are seeing pictures. We're just seeing pictures roll through in the book. It's his, it's his vision. And these pictures, each picture will represent volumes. It's like art by the masters. If you go to the Louvre or a great museum, you can sit in front of a painting if you, are, if you like paint, if you like art, and you can gaze at it, and the more you look at it, the more details you see, and the more emotions you feel as you, as you connect with the, with, the, with the artist. The heart of the painter is revealed. But this is like walking through the museum. And I'm walking through the museum with you, and I'm just saying, there's a man uh, who's got a hunting jacket on, he's whispering in the ear of someone, and there's a lady who's, who is looking over some lace, and she's, uh, she's working on some lace, and then there's a picture there of a, of a uh, cathedral at night, and there's, there's swirly stars all around, and, and it's just, we're just getting, getting picture after picture after picture, and that's what, the way you need to re uh, read Revelation. And we could anchor in on each of these pictures, and we could have a whole lesson on it. We could have a whole sermon on it, and we're not going to do that. But as we go through that, a devotional thought is you could choose one of these pictures, and you could go back in the scriptures and find all the echoes. I'm just going to point them out real quick because we don't have the time. We don't have months. We don't have years. I'm not that old. I'm too old. I'll be, it'll be over by the time we did that. And so we want to look at this. The first thing that we see is a stone. And it's not in your New International Version. But he says, I, I looked and, and, they, and Revelation says, and there was Jasper, but it says in the Greek, and there was a stone. And when I see that, I see an immovable rock. And we sang about this, and we sang about it last week, I remember. 
uh, uh, Gary, what's that song? In uh, the rock in him. What? A shelter in the time of storm. All right, I, I get Gary to sing it, but we don't have time. All right, but that song, have you ever wondered why you sing about a rock? Well, this is what he's talking about. He's immovable. He's our chief cornerstone. We just sang that. And, and I, I saw it, and I wrote it down. In Christ alone, it says this cornerstone, and you know, it talked about that. So we have this cornerstone. We have this rock. Uh, the psalm is full of the, this, uh, this imagery of he's my rock. He's my fortress. And so as we come into the throne room of God, we see this immovable rock, this permanent rock that is God. And then we see colors, these colors of jasper, and that's probably a clear diamond-like color. We see that in chapter 21, verse 11. It actually says it's clear. Carnelian is a fiery red color. Uh, the clear color the, uh, would be God's purity. And you can read, that's one of the echoes. You can go back in the purity of God, the red, the wrath of God. And so I see this purity of God and this love of God and this wrath of God. And we see this paradox of God. We walk into the throne room of God and what we see is this paradox here. We say, how, how, how can he be both? The first things people ask me when they're not believers is, how can a loving God allow evil? It's one of the first things I hear. Or they'll say, how can God be one but three? You say there's one God, but you worship three gods. How can that be? And it's a paradox we can't understand. As we go in and we see these two contrasting colors, we, say, we see the intense love of God, and we see his intense wrath. How can that be? His hatred towards sin, his love towards sinners. The separateness in the nature of his holiness. He's, he's holy and so different than us. That he's separate from us, and yet he comes to sinners. How can that be? He dwells in the heavens, and he dwells in the hearts of believers. He exacts justice, and he justifies the guilty. He's the God you can know and never understand. And we could go on and on, this paradox of the unknowable God that says, you can know me. I believe when we go into eternity... We will be forever knowing more about God. Ten million years, and there's no time, but ten million years, we will still be learning more about the limitless nature of God. What are we going to do in heaven? What are we going to do in eternity? I don't know. God has that. And he is unlimited, and we will learn him. And then we see this rainbow, this emerald rainbow. And of course, if you've been in Sunday school, you, the first thing you think of is that rainbow with Noah uh, from Genesis. And this is God's promise. God is making a promise here. And he says, I'm going to covenant myself. I'm a covenant God. I make covenants with you. And I keep my promises. I keep my covenants. And so we're, when we're confronted with this absolute purity... That's symbolized by that diamond, that jasper. And the brilliance of the fiery red wrath of God, our tendency is just to shrink back in fear and say, I, I, can't, I can't stand before this. Who can stand before the holy and righteous God who must exact justice? And God says, I give you a rainbow of hope. I want you to have hope. And I want to covenant myself with you. All my promises... All my promises, God said, are yes in Christ Jesus.
their yes. And this emerald is symbolic of life, emerald green. And John chapter 1, verse 3, in him is life, and that life is the light of men. So we get into this light, and we see lightning, and, and, the, and the original says lightning and voices and thunder. Lices, uh, uh, I think the NIV says something like rumblings. And that's okay. It's like there's this rumbling voice, like voices, and as overwhelming sounds are coming toward us, as overwhelming uh, uh, visual come towards us in, this, in the uh, lightning. And this word means it's not only is it coming out, but it has a direction that it's coming out. It has a goal that it's coming to, and that goal is you. <laughs> it's coming to you. So you're sitting there, and that lightning is coming toward you. It's not like you're standing in the distance, and you're seeing light off the, lightning off the horizon way, way off in the distance. And it's beautiful, and it's lovely. You know, have you ever done that? I did that driving into Mobile years and years ago, this huge storm, and it was miles and miles away, and it was so beautiful, all that lightning. No, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the time I was standing in my house looking out my window, and lightning pop right there 20 feet from me, and you, you should have seen me jump. I'm not a jumpy person, but boy, I jumped. And he says, the lightning is coming toward you. His voices are coming toward you. His thunder is coming toward you. And it brings us back to Mount Sinai. You go to Exodus chapter 20, and you see that the giving of the law is all this same thing is happening. And we say, we cannot live up to the law. This is the law coming toward you. His righteousness coming toward you. And we see how wrong we are. We see how sinful we are. The flash is coming out. It impacts us. And God will never give up or compromise his righteous decrees. God cannot nullify his law in order to accept people. He cannot change his righteous character or he will not be God. And so we have this awe-inspiring God, pure holiness that must punish sin. And that's why we're shown this rainbow of promise, of covenant, of hope, of life that encircles the throne. Yes, God will exact justice. He will punish sin, but he will never compromise his character. And there's hope. And then there's seven lamps. There are seven lamps, and out of these are outdoor blazing lamps. These are not little lamps that you have in your house, but these are uh, ones that the elements cannot touch. They won't, the wind will not put these out. And seven is a number of perfection, completeness, the perfection of the Spirit of God, the Spirit's work. And it's continuous. This fire or his work on earth will never be ex extinguished, for the Lord is a consuming fire. Hebrews. And then we have a sea of glass under that. Sea of glass. And in our next lesson, Lord willing, we're going to see this connection between this vision and the tabernacle in the Old Testament. And this is just the, the tabernacle was just a shadow of what is the reality here. And I believe this is the curtain of the tabernacle. The curtain separated men from going into the Holy of Holies, from going into the presence of God and toward the Ark of the Covenant. You could not go in there unless you, or you would die. And so here we have a sea of glass in front of us, and it shows this holy separateness between God and us and mankind. 
God is the creator. We are the cre uh, creatures. He had no beginning. We have a beginning. God is self-sufficient. We're dependent. But here is the good news. The curtain in the tabernacle prevented us from seeing God, but this is transparent. It's like glass. We can see through it. We see the light and the glory of God. And not only do we see it, but we're transformed by it as we take on his likeness, in our, as our minds and our hearts contemplate on who he is. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 16. Let's see. No, that's not it. Where? 3, excuse me. 2 Corinthians 3. I was in 6 and I'm going to read you the wrong thing. Chapter 6, starting in verse 16. But when everyone, anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So as we look through toward the throne, we're looking not through a veil, but through a sea of glass. And it's reflecting the Lord's glory. And as we gaze on that, we'll become more like him. So what is our response to this all-inspiring God? We'll have to wait till the next lesson because in verse 4 that we skipped today, verse 10, verse 11, the elders, I'll give you a hint, it represents you. The elders represent you. And we're going to see how our, what our response is to this king of glory. I have been very inadequate trying to explain this, I mean, I put some pictures up there just to give you an idea. And I thought about not even doing that because I've never seen any kind of visual that can compare to the visual that he had here. Let me sum it up with my, my paraphrase, six, the six um, verses in my paraphrase. And this might help us. Try to place yourself in John's shoes, in his sandals, as he walked into this vision. After this, I looked, and look, a door open, and still open in heaven. The trumpet-like voice I first heard was talking, saying, come up here. I will spread out in front of you what absolutely unfolds after this. At that instant, I was in spirit. And look, a throne set in heaven, and on the throne, one enthroned. The one who sat there was rock solid like stone, blazing crystal and fiery red, and an emerald rainbow were all around the throne. Around that throne were thrones, 24 of them. And seated on those thrones, 24 aged ones with flowing robes of white, and on their heads, golden victory crowns. Out of the depths of the throne, flashes of lightning, voices, thunder. In front of the throne, seven blazing torches. These are the seven spirits of God. Before the face of the throne, something sea-like, see-through as glass, resembling crystal. The rest of the story comes. 
May we gaze at the glory of God this week. May we take our eyes off of our troubles. May we take our eyes off of our concerns. May we keep our focus on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, because he is only one who can bring us hope and joy, peace, salvation, comfort, security, on and on. God bless us.